Now, more of Friday Night with the Hacksaw. Jim Hackett on WEEI. Welcome back. WEI Late Night, Jim Hackett, checking in. 11 o'clock hour, one hour to go. A lot of Patriots talk in the first hour. I want to get to some Red Sox. But before that, uh, Joe, did you watch that debacle Thursday night, uh, Thursday night football? You call that Thursday night football? You yeah, call that, that a game? Yeah, that was, I was honestly, it could have been a high school game on a Friday night. It was brutal. But the, the really reason I bring it up, I usually don't want to look back too far. But why NFL Network would not only rebroadcast that, but Rebroadcast it twice. Yeah, I think it's like mandatory that they gotta replay Thursday oh night Lord. football or something like that. That's an odd choice. <laughs> well, did you hear what Al Michaels said during the broadcast? But sometimes a game can be, at least at this point, so bad it's almost good. You know what I'm saying? No. I do not know what you're saying. No, that makes no sense. It was terrible. Nice Her- try. Herb Street literally said no. no. This is terrible. Yeah. He's done okay. Al Michaels hasn't lost a, a step at all. He's he's great. I mean, he's gonna keep that thing afloat. Um I'm not wild about the Amazon Prime thing, but it's not going anywhere. You're going to get used to it, folks. That, that, that is here to stay for sure. Um, so lots of Pats talk. You know, talked a little bit about what the construct needs to be going forward to get this team you know, moving in the right direction, not just this year, in the future. I'm of the mindset that they need a new set of eyes, a consigliere, someone that isn't of the Parcells-Belichick tree. How about someone from the old Bill Walsh tree? Andy Reid came from that tree. Eric Bieniemy comes from him. That's a guy I'd like to get, you know, an offensive, innovative mind in here. So just some different sets of eyes I think would help the Patriots. The core, not bad. The core is not bad. You lack elite talent. You got a pretty good core you can build off of. There's some guys. There's some guys. Duggar's a guy. Barmore's a guy. I'll tell you an area I'm disappointed in, though, is out of the linebackers. Like, where is Josh Uche and Anthony Jennings and the the much ballyhooed Raekwon McMillan? I mean, where are these guys? You trade Shaq, you know, Shaq Mason, who's probably your best offensive lineman you know, once Tooney left for Kansas City, and you got this guy, Mac Wilson. He made one play. Don't hear his name a whole lot. See a lot of Bentley. But Bentley's a B player, I'd say, a good solid B, but he's not an A. So a lot of work to be done, and I think that the Patriots would be wise to have a different set of eyes in there. And I said at the top of the show, I wonder what Jonathan Kraft thinks because it's going to fall on him. He's the heir. It's his legacy. Eventually, you know what I mean? It's Robert Kraft's legacy is six Super Bowls, nine appearances, however many AFC championships they had in a row. That was ridiculous. You know, he's the guy who saved the team in 1993. He's got the greatest legacy of any owner with six Super Bowls, all those appearances. But when the torch is passed, it's going to Jonathan. I wonder what he thinks. Yeah, I don't know if he'd be the one to like cut the court on Belichick before like he retires. I feel like there's some kind of mutual agreement between the Crafts and him that like, yeah, you retire, we won't fire you or whatever. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I I don't I don't I don't think this is, it, it's just not how business that's not how business works. It's just not how it works. I mean, I'm not saying that they would fire him, but I I I can't see someone who's going to take this over. This is the most prolific brand in the NFL the last 20 years. And is Jonathan Kraft seeing enough in terms of what is going to make their future sustainable from his current crew of lieutenants with Belichick and the supporting cast? And I, I, from my eyes, as just a guy, I'd say no. 
So I'm wondering what he's thinking of from the big chair because it's going to be his his keys, his Cadillac, relatively soon and probably within this two to four year window with Belichick. And you know, Robert says I've I've had enough, man. I'm, I'm gonna you you t- you're taking over. We don't hear a lot from Jonathan, and I like the fact that. Jonathan Kraft is there under Robert because it gives organizational stability. That's what the Patriots have always had, organizational stability. But there's not a lot of sustainability with the coaching staff, with all the brain drain. So I want a different set of eyes in. We've got more calls coming up here. Patriots calls coming. While that happens, while that's in process, Joe's working the magic phone number here. Um, I do want to get into some Red Sox talk before they kick me out of here at midnight and we go dark for a little while. MLB playoffs started today. Last year, the Red Sox were two games from the World Series. You had a core that had won the World Series in 2018. They battled back last year. They scuffled quite a bit. What Heim Bloom took over at Fenway Park was a championship core. He did some things I liked at the time, you know, during the pandemic. I thought, you know, I, I, and I'm not going to put, look way back in the dead horse Rolodex and put, you know, much blame on him for the Mookie Betts trade. He was put in that seat. He was put in that seat. He had to do it, and he did the best that he could. Maybe getting, you know, Gratterall, the pitcher who they opted to not take, and, and they took Verdugo instead. That might have been a mistake. That, that remains to be seen. But I don't pin that on him. What I pin on him is... A couple of things. First of all, not knowing what to do when you have this when you have this core that was two games away from the World Series. He's a guy who's hardwired, hardwired to look for value, to build from within organizationally. And that's fine. And I respect that in him. And I think he's damn good at it. But that can't be your only trick, particularly when you have a core that won the World Series two years before you took the job over. And most of them remain. Can't get more on the Belichick stuff. I'm more on the Red Sox after this. We've got Phil in New Bedford. Phil. Good evening, hey, Phil. Guys. Hey, I, I got three things I'd like to like kind of put out there like a rapid fire and listen to your response. Yeah, shoot. The year after Brady left, right? Yep. I truly believe it. I've been saying this your ears and even national programs, and I listen to you guys all the time and all the playful, right? Thank you. Both Jonathan and the old man should have just went out to Bill and said, we respect everything that's done. It's not disrespecting, because he, he accomplished something probably nobody's ever going to do again. Yep. Why don't you just be the coach and let's get a new GM? Secondly, bringing Mac in, this is going to be like an Andrew Luck situation. If the O-line can't protect this kid, he's going to get destroyed. Mm. And then moving forward, you guys mentioned about the linebackers. If he was not, if even though Bill was a great defensive mind, he probably still is. As a coach, he can do that. But he's spread too thin. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah, well, it does make sense, Phil, because I, I think you, you hit – what I said at the top of the and show. I haven't, I haven't called in your show for a while. I've had a lot of health problems going on. Two of my nephews die from overdoses, so hmm. it's about taking care of life. Yeah, I'm 60 years old. I grew. I'm a Philly fan. I mean, most people know me that. That's why I mention that. But I appreciate the championship mentality that all New England has, whether it be the Patriots, Bruins, Celtics, and everybody. So. 
thank you guys and have a safe night. Well, thank you. Sorry to hear about uh, you know, the issues that you've had. Thanks for taking time to uh, call us. We really appreciate that. And I want to hit your points. And I think his points got better as he went, um, to, to, to be candid. I thought he, he, you know, the first point after after Brady left, after the 2019 season, that to go to Belichick and say you can be just the coach, not the GM, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't, I, I know it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. I'm not. You say that to Bill Belichick, you lose Bill Belichick, and you were not in a position to lose Bill Belichick. Um, now a couple of years have gone by, and the evidence is not favorable in terms of what the situation looks like. So I think easing a conversation to get some help in, and it started in 2020 with the collaborative atmosphere draft and the, the shot in the room that usually either has Belichick or his dog Nike sitting there. It had the whole room, and they were all in there, and... And they made the pick that no one thought that they would, A, have access to make or would likely make in Mac Jones if people were thinking about Micah Parsons, if he was going to be there. So they at least showed well that that was, that was happening. But I, I think they need to ramp it up a little bit because I think, I think they're taking a step back, you know, uh, heading into this season in that collaborative thought process, in that thought process that, hey, heading towards 70 years old, we need to get in some people to replace a lot of the people that we thought might be a succession plan. Brian Flores, Brian Dable, you know what I mean? Guys like that, gone. And I think, to Phil's point, Phil in New Bedford, you know, you could have that conversation now or in the offseason. Hey, Bill, look, we missed the playoffs again. I'm getting hungry for a playoff win. I, I mentioned it last March. That's Robert. And again, I go back to what does Jonathan think? So I don't think that's a viable you know, solution after Brady left back going back to 2019. I will say this, though. The other points he made are valid. Andrew Luck. I'm glad he brought up Andrew Luck. You know, Andrew Luck retired early, and he did it right when Gronk first retired. Remember that? You know, Gronk came back, obviously. But, um, you know, the Luck thing and, and the Gronk thing happened pretty close to each other. And I remember being on the Fantasy Football Hour with Pete Davidson saying, you know, this could be kind of like a new theme that you see, which is people like leaving before it's time to protect themselves. I give Andrew Luck a lot of credit for doing that and shame on Jim Ursay and that organization for, you know, they did the whole suck for luck thing, right? They got Andrew Luck and they never put an offensive line in front of him. Never. He was running for his life his entire career. I don't blame him for leaving. He was broken down. It wasn't just the head injuries. He had it all over his body. So shame on them. You know, they, they did a terrible job supporting him. So, you know, I don't think the Patriots' offensive line is anywhere near in the shambles that Indianapolis's offensive line was when Andrew Luck was there. Not even close. Pat, the Pats have a good offensive line. They've got a weak spot. Isaiah wins a weak spot. And I don't know if he's moping because he wants to be a left tackle and because they get bigger bucks and he got moved over to the right side. I thought that would be great to have Trent Brown, who I thought was a better offensive lineman all along, Brady never got touched in 2018 when Trent Brown was on his left side. So in the offseason, I said, okay, they've got a, a good running game. They've got a really solid off- offensive line. They've got Trent Brown back. He's playing left tackle where he should be. You can move Isaiah Wynn, who's a first-round pick, to right guard. I like it. I like it. I was excited about it. What I didn't expect was Isaiah Wynn to give up on the field and get his quarterbacks hurt. So, you know, Phil and New Bedford had a good point. I don't think they're in an area where Indianapolis was with Andrew Luck, but they better watch it. But that's an area I don't worry about Belichick in with draft capital, <laughs> as shown back in April, where a guy who had third-round grades 
in Cole Strange got drafted in the first round. Belichick is like that Parcells mentality, same thing. Build from the inside out. That's never going to go away. That's who he is. Offensive guards, tackles, centers are never going to be a problem here. The Patriots' offensive line uh, will always be amongst the strengths. Could they be better right now? Yeah. I think some of that's communication coming from the sidelines. You know, Matt Patricia's the offensive play caller. He's also the offensive line coach. He's spread thin, too. Phil was talking about Belichick being spread too thin. He is. Patricia's spread pretty thin, too. They've got the offensive line, the second guy, the, the, the assistant offensive line coach, Billy Yates, who played here. You know, he was a, like a swing tackle, uh, one of these guys with versatility that Belichick loves. They got him up in the booth now so he can review things. That's to relieve pressure off Patricia, or I should rather say give him more time to focus on what has to be focused on. They're spread too thin. The whole organization is spread too thin. And that's why I come back and I look at a guy like Jonathan Kraft, who's a really smart guy running a great enterprise over there. He knows they're running too lean. He's got to know. He's got to know. I wonder what he thinks, and I wonder when that will manifest itself. I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. The last point that uh, the caller made, that Phil in New Bedford, that I appreciate, he was talking about the linebackers, and, and that it got to the point about being spread too thin. And, you know, that's Belichick's strength, his defense. That's where he made his bacon. As a defensive coordinator years ago for the Giants, the defense, the middle of the field, the linebackers, where are they? Where are they? We were in this place once before with the Patriots, Joe. Do you remember this? After, after 2007 and just before like Bruski was getting ready to retire, he had the stroke, he came back. You know, their linebacking core was aging. Vrabel was getting older. They were all getting older. You know what I mean? And they had brought in Junior Seau. They brought in Junior Seau, yeah, off the the scrap heap. And he was probably, what, 35, 36 years old at the time. Not a quarterback. He's a linebacker. Led with his head, as we know the tragedy that happened there, okay? They were really thin at linebacker for a long time. It wasn't until 2012 that they really made a pick, a high pick at line. It was Brandon Spikes. You know, he didn't work out so so well he, for a couple of years, but at least they made a move. But there was years where they didn't address linebacker. Again, going back to the lack of succession plan. You can't leave it just to the guys on the field and the low bench quality guys that you have. You've got to always be refilling that funnel, and that's what I worry about with them moving forward. More Pats, more Red Sox after the break. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, welcome back. Sports Radio, WEEI. It's late night with Jim Hackett on a Friday night. Thanks for joining us. Joe's alongside the booth, cranking up the tunes, talking a little bit of Pats, a lot of Pats, actually, in the first hour and a half of the show. And I, I, I wanted to talk about a little bit about the Red Sox. If you guys want to call in at 617-779-7937 and, and catch up on the Patriots talk, not only about what's in front of us, but what the future lies and, and, and how to get there and what does Belichick need. I think he needs some outside help. You know what I mean? I'm not kicking him out. Just want a different set of eyes. But I do want to take that theme about the build for the Patriots and transfer it and translate it into the Red Sox because the Red Sox are at a critical time right now. The MLB playoffs are underway. And if you look at the teams that are in there, 
other than Tampa Bay. There's a theme, you know? They're pretty much big market teams. Now, one huge market team got knocked down today by the Padres, 7-1, uh, to one, but that being the New York Mets. But, you know, this is a big market. Boston's a big market. The Red Sox are a ginormous brand in baseball, one of the most important teams and organizations in baseball. And their GM, their president of baseball operations, Hyam Bloom, has taken not just a small market mentality to this team, but he's taken a small market mentality that I think is his core belief system. I think he's hardwired to think that way. I think he's pretty good at it, too. But there's a few problems with Hyam Bloom and what he did and didn't do with this Red Sox team. I've talked a little bit about it. I want to get into it a little bit deeper. And I want to do it right now because the offseason is upon us in terms of the Red Sox. Xander Bogarts, you know, he's there. Are we going to re-sign him? I don't know. Raphael Devers' contract is coming up. J.D. Martinez leaving town. Nate Evaldi's contract is coming up. No one's even talking about that one. That's a big one. And my point to all this is, is do you, based on what you've seen since Dave Dombrowski was fired, do you want Hyam Bloom making the decisions for the Red Sox as they look to build back up? And dare I say rebuild as a sub-500 team with a lot of contracts expiring and a lot of question marks all over the roster. The rotation, the bullpen, lack of power. They got problems. Got some chemistry problems now, too, like moving a guy like Vasquez, Bogart's contract coming up, Devers' contract's coming up. Bogart's contract's over, actually. So, issues. The question I want to put out there at 617-779-7937 is, do you want High and Bloom making the crucial roster decisions this offseason? And I'm a no on that. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's got a great eye for value. But I don't think he's the right guy for this team and this market, and more importantly, for the team construct that he took on. You know? This was a World Series winning team in 2018, not that long ago. I think Steve and Somerville agree. Steve. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, Steve? Very good. Yeah, it seems like there's no leadership anymore. You know, back in 2018, you had a few people stepping up. You had um, J.D. hitting home runs. You had a few people. Sales was on top of his game. The the bullpen came through. All of a sudden, I don't know who to depend on anymore. Even when Bogarts and they come up, I mean, it just doesn't seem to be anybody that you could depend on in that clutch situation. Why do you think that is, Steve? Because I have an opinion on that, if you'd like to hear it. But why do you, because I think Um, there's a reason behind it. I don't know. I just think it was uh, the youth. But, you know, we're into quite a few years now. You know what I mean? And we need somebody to step up and... I mean, I go back, way back, you know. And when you think of Kevin Millar doing shots in the, the you know, the that was uh, great. clubhouse. Yeah, that was and, great. You know, they loosen people up. This team seems so tight all the time. You know, like I, they have to win. They have to do this. I think there's a reason for that, though, Steve. All right? I, I, so and what is that? I, I think they lost belief because they knew. Whether they, yeah. whether they actively acknowledged it in their minds, they right. definitely acknowledged it, even if it was in the back of their minds. It had an impact. 
Because two years in a row, okay, they were two games away from the World Series last year, but let's be honest, two years in a row at the trade deadline, right? Bloom underwhelmed them. Now look at, and I was just talking about this about High and Bloom. Now, I was just going to get into this. At the 2021 trade deadline, that Red Sox team was hemorrhaging. They were hemorrhaging right. in July of 2020. Now, July of 2022 was one of the worst months of baseball in Boston I've ever seen. Period. End of story. And I've been watching baseball right. a long time like you, Steve, okay? But that team right. last year, 2021, after the All-Star break, they were hemorrhaging, okay? And what did High and Bloom do? Absolutely. What, what did High and Bloom do? He went and, signed, he went, he went and got Austin, Austin Davis and Hansel Robles, two right. middling C-level relievers, that were really depth right. ads. And he went and got Kyle Schwarber. But here's the problem with the Schwarber signing, okay? And this is my overall point about Bloom. And it's, it's, it's as, as Ben Sherrington would say, it's multifactorial, okay? Here's my problem. Right. With, at the time, Kyle Schwarber was hurt. He was at least three weeks out. Now, they rushed him back to get the three weeks. They didn't need Kyle Schwarber on August 21st. They needed Kyle right. Schwarber on August 1st. And they right. needed a fr- right. they didn't need to... Take that time where I was, he was healing a groin or a hamstring. I think it was a hammy at that point. To have him bending over, right. taking ground balls at a position he didn't take. So the, my point with this is, is Bloom saw a value. And this is what he does. He's a one-trick right. pony like this. He saw a value in Kyle Schwarber. Oh, I can get help. He's not going to be able to help me for three weeks. So if we can just stay afloat for three weeks, we might get right. lucky and make it. And that's exactly what happened. Part two of that... But hold on, Steve. Part two of that, thanks for hanging on. Yep. Is it worked? It worked, all right? right. It, was, it, was a, it, was, right. it wasn't a good plan with a team that needed right. help day one to get it on day 21 or day 22 or whenever it happened. But it right. worked. And then what happened in the offseason? You had an expiring contract right. season for J.D. Martinez. You had Kyle Schwarber, who's an outfielder, playing first base, who's probably really a DH in the American League. You had a built-in right. solution. You had a built-in solution, a guy who proved it here, a guy that guys like you, Stephen Somerville, Joe, me, everyone out there listening liked. They called him Kyle and Waltham. He was one of the guys. And then what happens? They let him go. He goes to the Phillies. He has 38 home runs. He had an RBI today and a comeback in the ninth inning. They were down 2 to nothing. They won 6-2. to two. He had a sack fly for an RBI. He's been doing it all year, leading off, the, leading right. off for the Phillies, leading the NL in, in home runs the whole year. And they signed him for four years and $79 million. So to go back to your point about lacking leadership, do you think maybe it's because the, the, the president of baseball operations bled the roster dry, never fortified them in 2021, never fortified them in the 2021-22 offseason, never fortified them at the trade deadline this year? And when he did, I he was. Agree. And when he did, he was half pregnant. He got Tommy right. Pham, and then he got the the first baseman who got hurt, which was a good pull, by right. the way. Eric Hosmer. Eric Hosmer. He picked up Hosmer. That was a good pull. But right. the die had been cast at that point. If you were going to make right. a move for Tommy Pham at the deadline and Eric Hosmer at the deadline, there had to have been another move, or you get Tommy Pham two months earlier, and then you get Hosmer, right. and then you make another move. So my, my, my point with Bloom is, Steve, and everyone out there listening, is he's good at part of the job. He's good at finding those values. But when you are right. the Boston Red Sox and you have a $200 million payroll, and I'm yeah, not saying... Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I think he's done if he doesn't do it right this year. I don't Honestly. want him to do it this offseason. It's too important. I don't want... I think he's right. a smart guy. I would let him run my director of scouting program Anytime. I think he'd be a great GM right. in Kansas City, Tampa Bay, Minnesota, and Oakland, 
work for Billy Bean, build yourself up. But this guy, what he really needs to do, he needs to sit under a guy like Dave Dombrowski, who at some points was Dombrowski, giving David Price $217 million. All right, I'll, I'll criticize him for that. But you can't have a World Series are. core team and be half pregnant. You can't be hardwired to be a small market GM and then be like, geez, I'm getting a lot of pressure. I'll go get Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer. It's not enough. Or Kyle Schwarber three weeks too late. Absolutely right. Absolutely right, brother. God bless you. Have a good night. You too. Thanks for the call, Steve. All right, Steve got me going there. I told you I wanted to talk Red Sox. They're under my skin, Joe. You know yeah, I mean? to add on to the Eric Hosmer thing, the only reason he got Eric Hosmer was because the Padres needed to dump salary he was a value. to get Juan Soto. So it's just another value deal that Bloom made. Yeah, value, 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 value. And how long did we bang our heads against the wall about Belichick? Value, 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 value. Now, the difference is Belichick did it while he was winning six Super Bowls and competing at the most elite level every year. So, again, bow with the feet. Doesn't make them flawless. Doesn't mean I'm happy with how it's gone the last couple of years. I'm not. And I think they need to make changes. But back to the Red Sox. You know, this is an epidemic with Bloom. I'm just going to cite some examples, okay? First of all, I think, he's, I, I think it's going to be hard to rewire him. I think he's hardwired to have a small market mentality. He learned from the best, you know? Yeah, it, that, that was my Tampa thing Bay. About, about last year. Because, like, you said how electric it was. But he didn't do anything at the deadline. Do you think like it was still like his plan? He wasn't going to deviate from like, oh, this is a rebuilding team. Um, even if we're contending, we're still going to rebuild. Because I think that's what his mindset was and why he only got Schwarber on a discount and brought in Robles and Davis. Joe, that's my whole point. My whole point is that he can see the values, okay? But there's something missing in terms of looking at what the canvas is in front of you. The canvas in front of you very clearly at the end of the ALCS said this team was two games away from the World Series. They played their guts out. You got lucky getting a guy like Schwarber with this team having to tread water for three weeks, three and a half weeks until he was ready. You got lucky, and it worked, thankfully, with Kyle Schwarber. But then you let him go. Part of the reason you lost to to the Astros was you didn't have enough on the staff. They didn't really get any starters. They got Michael Walker. I'll give him that. But that was a dice roll. That was a dart throw, and it worked out. Rich Hill, 42 years old, a a dart throw. They worked out. But he didn't go and fortify the roster. Again, value. I can get innings out of Michael Walker. I can get something out of Rich Hill at 42. I can get James Paxton maybe for 2023 and beyond. It wasn't what they needed. And I will say this, too. It was roster negligence, clear roster negligence to not bring a closer in here. This team had 27 blown saves. I knew it was going to happen in March, and I kept waiting for that closer to come. And if you thought it was Jake Diekman, he was very, very wrong about that, as we all saw with our, uh, with our eyes. And I didn't think that was an impressive signing when it happened anyway. My point is, it's great to be a, a great finder of value. That's great. Great skill that he has. If you're the Tampa Bay Rays or the Kansas City Royals. Hey, by the way, if you're the Red Sox, and you're not a contender, strip it down. But they were a, conter- a contender. He stripped them out of contention by not fortifying the roster properly at the deadline last year, this offseason when they desperately needed a starter, they a real one, they desperately needed help in the bullpen. They had Kyle Schwarber, Kyle from Waltham, sitting in their laps, signed for four years, $79 million, under $20 million a year. Are you kidding me? And he's in the playoffs. So what does that tell you? 
I think he's hardwired to look at it one way. I think he's a really smart guy. I think he's talented. I just don't think he's the guy for this market, and he's not the guy for this brand. And for the way this team was constructed, what happens next? Are they going to have Bogarts as part of their core? Are they going to have Devers moving forward? I hope so. I hope so. Let's see what Mike and Newton thinks. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Jim. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to echo your, your sentiments on Hein Bloom. Um, I just wanted to, I mean, he, he literally has no clue, I don't think, what he's doing. I mean, maybe he does have a long-term plan, but a long-term plan doesn't work in Boston where you have a, a payroll uh, of the Red Sox because the fans want to win now. They don't, they don't want to hear about a three-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. Now, granted, Dombrowski traded everyone away uh, in the farm system to win a world series. And I think most people in Boston are fine with that. Um, if we have to do, you know, to win a world series every three, five years, I mean, yeah, sign me up. We'd see one. Yeah. Sign we me never up. I thought we'd see one. So that's fine. But, but like you said, with Schwarber, I mean, Schwarber almost set the record for lead off home runs yeah. this, this season. And he's leading the Phillies. I mean, he's a big reason. I tell you, the Phillies wouldn't even be in the playoffs if it wasn't for him. Absolutely. He's so, been leading off all year. He's been leading the NL all year in home runs, Mike. All year. Yeah. Yeah. So he finished one below the record for leadoff home runs ever in Major League Baseball history for a lead a guy in the leadoff spot. Yep. And four well, years, seventy nine million, else, yeah. Mike. And he was right yeah. here. Yeah. He was right yeah. here. And they had the option. They had the option of uh, well, he uh, he opted out because he you know. But still, I mean, it, it, they they only had to give him like a five million dollar raise per year. Did you hear Bradford's? Did you hear Bradford's uh, podcast interview with Schwarber at the All Star break? Rob Bradford, the venerable no, Rob Bradford of WEI. He asked him. He said, no, did, the, "Did the Red Sox ever contact you?" You know what Schwarber said? No. No. They never of course not, because yeah. that's just that, well. It just shows the arrogance, and and for that reason alone, he should go. You know, as far as I'm concerned, get rid of him. He's a bum. I yep. mean, the, you know, the, the the Red Sox season was just a rudderless ship out to sea in the harbor, and it you know probably crashed into George's Island. I don't know. <laughs> they what a terrible year it was. I mean, just depressing as a Red Sox fan. It but was. I wanted to focus on the. Uh, I just, and that's all I have to say about the Red Sox. It's just depressing, quite frankly. Uh, but the the uh, the Pat scheme coming up. I was looking at some stats, and I hear everyone, you know, everyone like uh, is saying, you know, the over this, that, and the other thing, the over, the over, the, you know, everyone I've heard on WEI or, or you know the 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 betting you know experts are saying the over, but. You know what? I, when people say that, that's the game. That's the time uh, Belichick is going to just like run the ball all day. I'm with you and take the pressure off Zappy. Now both teams are in the top ten in the NFL for rushing yards per game, but in the bottom ten for rushing yards allowed. Right. So this might be a quicker game than people think. This might be a lot of running. Uh, you know, the Pats can do that obviously very well. Um, you know. Uh, I, I think, you know, Ramondre Stevenson will be more involved in the game plan. But I'll tell you right now, Isaiah Wynn is so horrible at right tackle that Belichick replaced him. It's, I, I think at one point in the game. No, Marcus Cannon took, took him off, took him off the street. Yeah. Mike, I got to jump. Yeah. We're going to pay some bills. Great stuff. Right, great quick. stuff on the yeah, Red quick. Sox. Great stuff on the Pats. Thanks so much for the All call. Right, call again. All right. That's Mike and Newton, passionate about the Red Sox. I think we're pretty aligned there, and with the Patriots, too. Good call. Appreciate that. I appreciate all the calls that have been coming in. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to wrap it up. More of your 
Sox and Patriots pain coming up. Sports Radio, WEI. All right, welcome back. Jim Hackett, Sports Radio, WEI, here at Late Night on Friday night. Thanks for joining in. Steven Somerville, Mike and Newton with some passionate Red Sox calls. Appreciate that. Talked to a lot of Pats the first 90 minutes of the show, but uh, as Joe could see, I was boiling over. I had to get to my Red Sox stuff because, you know, look at MLB playoffs are going on. Your Red Sox should be there. They've been out of it since the 4th of July. You know what I mean? And now it's over. And a year ago, we're all partying at, uh, after the wild card game and the ALDS and upsetting the Rays and, and damn near taking it to the Astros. And I think Hyam Bloom did a great job dismantling a potential championship team. That's what I think he did, and it's an it's a very important offseason. I don't want him at the controls. Got to tell you, don't want him at the controls. There are some strengths. There is a strength, finding value where value is. Kyle Schwarber at the 2021 deadline, because he was injured, I can get him three weeks late, even though my team needs him now. Value. Eric Hosmer, value. Tommy Pham, value. Austin Davis, Value, Hansel Robles, value, Jake Diekman, value, and on and on and on and on. What he forgot is that he has a roster from 2018, a core, that had won a World Series. Xander Bogarts had won two as a rookie in 13. He didn't build it up. He didn't do it at the 21 deadline. He didn't do it in the 21-22 offseason. He didn't do it when he should have done it which was before the All-Star break. And by the way, that's not unprecedented. You can make a deal before the deadline. The Red Sox did it years ago. Theo Epstein did it years ago when when they had that closer by committee thing the first time. And he went and got Byung-Hyung Kim like between Mother's Day and Memorial Day. Now, it didn't work, but he went for it. And you know what? Hyam Bloom, one of his own guys that he picked up at the deadline, Tommy Pham, Tommy Pham said it publicly. To the media, through the media, to you, the fans. He said, he should have got me two months ago. That's when the Red Sox needed it. That's when they needed the injection. And that's what I don't think Hyam Bloom sees. He doesn't see the canvas in front of him. He had a championship contending team in front of him with tons of expiring contracts ahead of him. He had a window with which to fortify this team, and he didn't do it. Yeah, he looked more long-term than short-term, which is probably what he was known for while at Tampa. No question, but here's the thing. I don't have a problem with a long-term vision. If you're built that way, if if the Red Sox weren't in it last year, after being nearly dead heading into the trade, after the trading deadline in 2021, Schwarber gets healthy, comes in, fortifies them, they take off. They take down the Yankees, they take down the Rays. Oh, here we go. You know what I mean? All right. Wasn't that evidence enough? All you needed was one more starter and a closer and, and sign Schwarber, who, again, I'll say it again, four years, $79 million. That's less than $20 million a year. I know it's pennies, less, but it's still less. And he led the National League in home runs and in an RBI in a playoff game today. Geez, I wonder why. And if you're wondering why Xander Bogarts had 15 home runs this year and why J.D. Martinez lacked power all year, could it be? the giant hole in the lineup that wasn't filled from Kyle Schwarber's absence, I think it's a direct connection to that. I think it's directly due to that. 
You take a bat like that out of the lineup, of course the power is going to go down. That's what happens. So that brings me to Bogarts. 15 home runs. He does a grand slam in his final, what looked like his final game in a Red Sox uniform. I hope it's not the case. You know, he's been a great player here. And I'm not one to overpay for past performance. I think you gotta you got to predict and project. And I think Bloom is someone who's probably good at that. But again, that's part of the job. But if you're, if you're hanging your hat on the fact that they shouldn't bring back Xander Bogarts because he had 15 home runs, I think you need to look long and hard at that lineup. J.D. had an off year. Schwarber was gone. There's a big gap there. There were some numbers that Xander had. He hit 307. His on-base percentage was 377. That's not too shabby. Not to mention what he means to that team. The lifeblood of that team. And if you want to keep Devers here after 2023, you might want to think about overpaying Xander a little bit. Now, Xander's 30. It's not football. He's not a running back in the NFL. You know, your prime goes to about 33. You know, these days, maybe maybe 34, maybe. Used to be the, the number was 28 to 33. That's about the number. All right. So can we get three prime years out of Bogarts and overpay for two? I'd do that. Will Bloom? I don't know. Do I want Bloom to be in that position to do it? No, I don't. Because I don't think he's shown enough in the two-plus years that he's been here, that he's a complete GM, a complete personnel guy. I don't think he is. How you can look at a canvas that the Red Sox had in front of him, Kike Hernandez, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Christian Vasquez, Chris Sale when he was healthy, Evaldi, all those guys. How you can look at that and not want to invest more in it, I don't get, particularly when Devers isn't even near his prime yet. He's nearing it. He's not at his prime yet. You know? You got a young core. They were there, right there, and he just didn't do it. And I don't want to see that man making the decisions in this important offseason because here's what's going to happen. My last point is, if you are hardwired to look for value, and he said as much, he said the things that bother him is when he misses a value. Did you see that reaction when Franchi Cordero hit that home run? He went crazy. Why? It's one of his guys, a value guy. If you're going to be that way, don't be half pregnant about it. Don't go get Eric Hosmer or Tommy Pham and kind of fortify your team. So I don't even think he's got courage of his convictions. So he's the wrong guy for this team at the wrong time because he had a good club contender that he didn't fortify. And he's not even, he doesn't have the courage of his convictions. So let's just sleep on that, folks. Thanks for joining in. Tune in tomorrow. Ken and Curtis got the producer's show in the morning. Got the Pats on Sunday. I think the Pats are going to take the Lions. I think they're going to go on a little winning streak because they can. And if they don't, they stink and it's trouble time. Talk to you next week.